Royal Stanley of Oregon Pacific Financial Advisors, offering securities through United Planners Financial Services member FINRA SIPC, guides clients with empathy in discovering and reaching their financial goals and creates financial plans for clients so they can live their life by design. In these episodes, he relates his financial insights and discusses timely topics. Royal strives for excellence and has a passion for sharing his knowledge and supporting his community. Now, on to the show. Hey, Royal. How you been? I'm good. How are you doing, Eric? I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to get into today's podcast, but you are in a highly regulated industry. Yes, I am. And because of that, sometimes we have a disclosure that needs to be read. So let's do it. All right. Here's the disclosure for today. Discussions in this show are for educational purposes only. Information presented should not be considered specific investment advice or a recommendation to take any particular course of action. Always consult with a financial professional regarding your personal situation before making any financial decisions. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Securities offered through United Planners Financial Services, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory service offered through Oregon Pacific Financial Advisors, Inc. Oregon Pacific Financial Advisors and United Planners are independent companies, and neither Oregon Pacific Financial Advisors nor United Planners offers tax or legal advice. Okay, now that we've taken our medicine, can we get on with the show? Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Live by Design with Royal Stanley of Oregon Pacific Financial Advisors. Royal, what's going on? Nothing much. Enjoying these beautiful spring days we're having. Nice, nice. That but is... you? Oh, I'm kind of doing the same. Allergies would just leave me alone. I'd oh. enjoy it a little bit more. <laughs> Allergies are just such wicked little things. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Well, it's part of life. So <laughs> anyway, uh, we didn't come here to talk about my allergy issues and me whining and crying on this podcast. We're here to talk about a lot more important things, much more. That's important right. Things. That's right. So in the Wall Street Journal today, and a really important article on whether or not you should or have to refrigerate your butter, which is really something I've been thinking about for a while of you pull the butter out of the refrigerator. And I like the, uh, the Irish butter. So it's very, very hard when you pull it out of the refrigerator and then you're gouging it, trying to get the butter out for your toast. And then you put it back. But if you left it on the counter, it would be soft. Mm -hmm. So where do you fall in this argument? Well, first of all, I didn't know what is Irish butter. I didn't know there was an Irish butter. I think that there's a brand called Kerrygold and it's just very, very pure. And it's like, you know, milk, salt, and something else. And that's it. Okay. Okay. Delicious. Yes. Non-refrigerated. I'm sorry. I can't can't do it because nothing drives me more crazy than trying to spread cold butter on toast. And it's just destroying the bread. And and I, you know, I've got one of my, I think it's a cousin that they just solved the issue by putting a slab of butter on there. Then they take their toast, put it in the microwave. Well, that kind Come of eliminates on. the toast part of it, right? It just gets the bread softening. Yeah, it's, it's not a good idea. So I'm, I'm all about the counter. Okay. That's right. Okay. That, I, I appreciate it. I respect it. My grandmother was that way. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get there. I just oh, can't. you're a fridge guy. Really? I'm a fridge guy, but I wish there was, a, where there was like just a separate refrigerator that was like, hey, it's 5 a.m. Let's heat this up a little bit. 9 a.m. Let's bring it back down a little bit. That would you know. be really bad for all the other food. <laughs> that's, I believe that's called food poisoning. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just talking about a specific butter container. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, listeners, listen, Royal gets half the royalties or whatever that's called when somebody invents something. You guys invent it, but it was his idea. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I think it's a great idea. So. (laughs) And then there's people we just don't talk to, which are margarine people. Uh, it's soft all the time no matter where it's at and i but i just i'm all about the pure butter yeah it's so good it is so good okay so also in the wall street journal Mm -hmm. there were numerous articles about our upcoming debt ceiling negotiation and what's going on in the congress and in the white house to try to figure out whether or not we're going to continue to pay our debts or not uh in default on our liabilities that we've already put in place here So I thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about this debt ceiling and what that looks like. As I'm not sure a lot of people realize, we actually hit our debt ceiling in January of this year. And over the past five months have just been operating under emergency, uh, an emergency situation where the Treasury Department is doing all they can to kind of manage the incoming tax revenues versus the liabilities that they have to pay out. But it's Mm -hmm. looking like and no one can give us the exact date, but uh, the earliest I'm seeing is June 1st. We're going to hit a, a point where we could potentially default on our debt. So I thought we'd spend the next 20, 25 minutes chatting about that, what this means for the country, what it means for you as an investor and things that you can do. And maybe even some ideas that uh, Congress should start looking at uh, instead of having these negotiations. Not as important as butter, but it'll definitely fill the rest of the podcast. And, and I did true. not know that, that we hit that in January. That's new to me. I had no idea. Yeah, we actually, we actually hit the, the debt limit, but we've been, we've been managing that through the Treasury Department, mm-hmm. you know, paying our bills and doing that. But our runway for being able to do that runs out here uh, you know, in the next months. We're, we're recording this mid-May right now, so people was probably here in about a week or so, but we are going to, going to hit this limit and uh, or this this crisis point if we don't come up with a solution mm-hmm. through uh, the the government. So it, it it is a big deal, and I don't think it's on too many people's radars because it's been a while since we've uh, gone through one of these. Yeah. So let's let's start at the beginning because what is the definition of the debt ceiling, or or I guess define it for me, and why was it created in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. So the original intent of the debt ceiling was prior to 1917 or World War I, whenever there was a bill asking for more financing or issuance of treasury bonds or bills, Congress was basically raising it every time they voted on something like that. So each time the treasury needed to raise funds, they had to go to Congress and say, hey, we're going to do a debt offering. Do you approve it or not approve it? To make things easier during World War I, instead of the Treasury coming to Congress and saying, can we issue this debt, Congress put in uh, a debt ceiling basically saying, you can raise debt up to this limit as you need it to fund operations, to fund the programs that we have in in the case of war, fund the, the Department of Defense, fund all the other areas. And so over the last... Uh, 100 plus years, we've had this debt ceiling in place. We have suspended it from time to time in crisis situations, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's designed so that the treasury doesn't have to come back to Congress each time they have to issue debt to to keep the government going. Okay. So 
because inflation and just the the overall I guess inflation would be the only word that I can use here. I'm assuming that the debt ceiling has been increased by either inflation rates or whatever for the last hundred years. It, it had to have adjusted because back then it would have been like, ah, you can have 2 million bucks and now it's like a trillion, something like right. That. Exactly. Whatever, right. Okay. So can you give us an example of a previous debt ceiling crisis and what happened there? Yeah. So really since about 1960, th these have all been pretty uh, rubber stamped things that, that happen. Just mm -hmm. kind of a normal function of the government. Government's always voting on something just to keep <laughs> government moving. Keep the lights uh, on. And the, exactly. And so the debt ceiling uh, conversations were, were really pretty rote. Until we got to the 2000s, and it really hit a crisis point in 2011, where the Republican House, led by John Boehner, basically put its foot down and said, listen, uh, to the Obama administration, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling until you start giving us some concessions, until you start uh, basically agreeing to some legislative priorities that we have to help lower the debt. And let's just say that didn't work out terribly well, I think, for either side. The issue became is we have our debt ceiling. We had hit our debt ceiling. And now the Republican House used that for leverage to really kind of wring out some concessions from uh, the Obama administration to cut some, some debt as well as cut some spending, more importantly. So it seems to be over the past 15 years or so, the Republican, uh, Republicans in Congress have used the debt ceiling as a leverage tool to help cut spending, which mm. is an interesting and kind of backwards way of looking at it. Because the debt ceiling doesn't increase spending. Spending is increased by the laws that Congress pay, play, uh, passes, like raising or lowering taxes mm -hmm. and agreeing to fund programs like Medicare, defense spending, and all the other programs that the country relies on. So when we get to the debt ceiling, it's really not a question of are we going to increase spending? It's a question of whether or not we're going to continue to pay our bills for that spending we've already agreed to. And I think there's there's good arguments on both sides of we should be really concerned about our debt situation. But on the flip side there, this might not be the right time to really kind of bring out the uh, the, the pliers and, and the hot mm -hmm. pokers to torture the other side to bring about those concessions. So that's where we're at right now. So in 2011, we actually came to agreement and we increased the debt, the, uh, the debt ceiling, but because it took so long to come to an agreement and because the U S government looks so dysfunctional S and P, which is a ratings organization that rates debt, both in companies and in countries actually cut the, uh, rating for the U S from a triple a rating to a double a plus. And it was the first time in history we'd ever had our debt. Uh, rating cut. And this caused in incredible turmoil in the markets, even though we didn't reach a default. It was just that credit rating cut. Uh, they estimate increased our, our borrowing co costs by about a billion dollars a year because wow. of that. So, so these negotiations do have consequences and kind of at the end of that tunnel of negotiations, if we don't come up with an answer, there is a default that will occur at some point 
if we let it keep running like this. Okay. So you covered a lot of the, the, a little bit of, a little bit of the politics on this. Is there something else that we need to know as far as the, the far left, far right, conservative versus liberal? Is there anything else that you need to touch on that their viewpoints on this situation? Yeah, I think the, the, the major viewpoints on the conservative side of the, uh, the ledger is really, hey, we're spending too much as a country. Mm-hmm. You know, we have runaway spending where we, we really don't have a consistent way of raising funds because we don't want to raise taxes to pay for the programs we have. Yeah. And on the Democratic side, it's really the conversation when we get to the debt ceiling of, hey, we've already voted to increase spending with the bills we have passed. We can't use that as, as a lever for the debt ceiling to make changes to those programs. And I see both sides of those issues. I think they're really, really important. But because we don't have a, a well-functioning government that can talk to one another, um, there's no other place to do it than really on the battle lines of a, of a fiscal crisis here, which is this debt ceiling issue. Yeah. So that's, that's really where the two sides come together and feel like they can negotiate but really what needs to happen and this might touch on the solutions a little bit we we just need to kind of depolarize things a little bit so we have people that can have negotiations and conversations before we get to the crisis moment yeah all right well you, you spoke about a default right so what is the risk if we default or default and what truly happens i mean i don't know exactly understand i mean it sounds like our credit rating could drop again i'm assuming right oh yeah our our credit rating will will drop dramatically and, and first let's kind of st- step back and say what is a default okay so a default happens where the government doesn't make a payment so it depends on you know where it doesn't make a payment but where this will probably come up is we fund our government by issuing treasuries uh-huh. to raise money, and then we pay that back with the taxes we collect. If we can't continue to issue treasuries, what happens is, is we won't be able to pay those treasuries back when they come due or make the interest payments on them. Uh-huh. When we can't make an interest payment, that is when we go into default. And gotcha. we have never, ever done that. And if we were to reach that point on on treasuries or on another spending area like Medicare or Social Security, where we just say, hey, we don't have the money, that is going to be disastrous for the country. I saw one commentator today who basically said, "If if we default on our debt, don't worry about what's going on with your stock portfolio, worry about your job, because we're going to see mass unemployment as the cost of borrowing increases dramatically and as there's just massive cuts across the board because once us us debt loses that kind of world reserve currency place in the ecosystem we're going to be paying a whole lot more for everything just across the board mm. so much higher inflation driven by really this brinksmanship over whether or not we're going to pay, make, make these payments. Yeah. So that's just, that's just kind of one area there. You know, there, there's a number of other areas that will happen in a default and none of them are good. Nothing positive Hmm. happens. And also it doesn't solve our spending problem. Yeah. So the biggest thing I have to say is we, we, we really need to figure out a way of 
getting through this default and then coming back to the table to talk about our spending problem, because I think we definitely have a spending problem in this country, but making these happen during debt ceiling negotiations isn't the way of making lasting change. If anything, it's just band-aids on the problem. Yeah. And from an outside observer and watching all the news and the media, I watch it some, you and I've talked about this before. I try to avoid a lot, but you can't avoid all the left versus right conservative versus liberal arguments that are always going on. It's, it's everywhere. We're saturated. Right. And so it's a little disheartening there. So what would you say is a possible resolution? I mean, if these two groups can't play nicely in the sandbox, what, what's going to be the outcome? Yeah, that, 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 that's a much bigger conversation of how, how do we get polarization out of, out of Congress, out of the U S because that's, that's a road that we've been going down, I think for the past, you know, probably 15 years or so where we really have this red blue divide across the country and it's just getting worse and worse. But the thing we have to remember, these things are pendulum swings. And right now I feel like we're really swinging towards high polarization I don't know what's going to pull us back over to working together more, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. And maybe that's a little Pollyanna-ish, but I do think we can't keep going along this without tearing uh, everything apart. And it might need a blow off of, of some kind, you know, either a, a national tragedy or uh, some sort of, of event or figurehead who can come in and kind of bring things back more to center. But that's really what we need is we need to be able to have these negotiations and talk and come up with a rational spending plan mm-hmm. for the U.S. government. Yeah. So unicorns and rainbows, basically, yeah, is what I'm, I got I'm, for you. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm like, you know, for a while I've been like, can we just get a clean slate? Fire everybody. <laughs> <laughs> get all new Congress, all new Senate. White House, don't let people that have run run before or have you know don't let them run again. Uh, mm-hmm. Just all new people, all new people. Is that possible, Royal? Do, do you have any people in mind that can possibly do this? So, are you saying we we should have an election like every two or four years and just we can have an election right people? now? Just replace everybody. Yeah, just let, let's have the election now. Replace everybody <laughs> and see if they can do a better job of of the with the circus that is going on right now. I don't want to call them all clowns. But doggone it, it's really close to all being clowns. Is that rude to say? Is that is that wrong to say? That's only my opinion. That's not Royal's opinion. Just want to make sure the audience understands that. I, I'm just frustrated, right? I think that, that I think we're all a little frustrated. So let me ask you this: Is there anything we can do? I mean, besides replacing everybody, but that doesn't exactly work out well, number wise. Well, I, I think getting involved in, in voting mm-hmm. with what your beliefs are is is really the the most important thing. And then also, you know, talking to the people that you're, you're electing at whatever level and saying, Hey, let's bring down this polarization. It's not helping anybody. Yeah. This tribalism in America is, is not good for anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that's a starting point there, but, but really these negotiations have to be going on before we're at a, a time like this, because the issue becomes if we don't come up with a, with a, a, uh, a solution to the debt ceiling issue. There's just no other way um, where the consequences of a default are worse uh, or better than a um, a, a vote to extend the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, that the, the consequences of a default are just, just truly awful. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't think people really grasp that, mm-hmm. that it could be really bad. Well, I mean, the jobs thing is what, what got me uh, when you mm-hmm. said that. I never really thought of that before. I mean, obviously there'd be some, some uh, situations, but it sounds like it would be more widespread, which is a disaster. Um, so, yeah. It, it, you know, we're already on the, I think the precipice of a recession, mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, and I, I'm not trying to fear monger, but it could really send us into a d- depression. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, globally, it's just going to send shockwaves ac- across the, uh, the nation. So we, we have to be really careful here. And I think people need to be prepared for that and prepared for, okay, well, what happens if, and how do I make sure I can make it through whatever happens? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that you talked a little bit about short-term uh, solution mm-hmm. as far as bringing to the table, making decisions. What about long-term? What, what can be done long-term as far as a solution to this besides stop spending so much? And right. That's the right. Solution I've got. <laughs> well, I personally, I think the, the idea of a debt ceiling is kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. because once again, we need to come up with a better system of managing how much we're spending. Yes. So I don't know if there's a way of passing laws to basically say, Hey, if we're, if you're going to increase spending, you have to increase revenue to cover that spending Mm -hmm. or at least by a certain percentage, you have to cover it by 80% with new revenue. And that way we don't run into these issues uh, where a small subset can really hold the country hostage, trying Mm -hmm. to wring out additional concessions. So that that's my biggest concern here is, uh, it's just the wrong tool for the job we have. We really need to pass laws that make it, um, that, that just create a better system for passing laws where we're increasing the, increasing the amount of spending. The debt ceiling isn't the right solution for that. Yeah. How about we don't allow them to give themselves raises and we make them pay for their own health insurance until they can get the debt under control? But- what do you think? Yeah, yeah. That, but how that, does that that's get passed? An, that's an idea. <laughs> that's an idea. Right? I mean, uh, it, yeah. It, it's it, that. That's what I think frustrates a lot of people and frustrates me like crazy is all of a sudden you hear that they're, oh, they're, they've given themselves a raise. Um, or, you know, we know that their healthcare plan is, you know, probably the best in the world, if, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to pay for it. So let's, let's let them pay for that and not be able to give themselves raises until they can figure out how not to drive this country into, you know, the poorhouse, if you will. Yes. They, they are very, very well paid, <laughs> very well paid. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so, so there's, there's definitely some things that can be done, but we, we we've just got to kind of st- take a step back and say, Hey, we've, we've got to be prepared for uh, what happens if. And so that's where I thought we would just spend a little bit of time here just talking about what I still think is a very unlikely scenario that we do default. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for people to hear is it is probably an unlikely scenario, but there is that possibility. And I, I it's, it's better than zero that we do default on the debt because of how polarized our Congress and our administration is. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, out of curiosity, I know you do a lot of reading. Are there other countries uh, that you can point out that have, uh, maybe a debt ceiling uh, situation like this and um, what they've done to avoid it, come to the table and agree, agree or, or what? 
no, there, there's not many countries that have a debt ceiling like like the U.S. Um, because it, it is a strange way of running the government. Yeah. yeah. Especially you know, so, if you just keep moving the, the, the line, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So not a lot of other countries are, are following in our footsteps with the debt ceiling uh, question. Yeah. All right. Well, it, I would like to ask one more question uh, for the listeners. If folks are listening and saying, hey, what can I do personally? I mean, besides the voting and all that to to help the situation, but what can I do in my own scenario, my own finances to prepare for something if it were to happen? Again, this is not gloom and doom. This is not doomsday talk. This is just realistic conversation. But mm-hmm. if people are wondering, what can I do to help guard myself? Um, do you have a couple pointers for them or do you just want to give out your contact information so they can reach out to you and you can have that discussion because everybody's situation is different? No, I, th- I think it's good. And th- these are also somewhat of our, of our general uh, conversation points when we're talking about people preparing for an emergency. Yeah. So number one, we we do think it's a good idea to have a couple thousand dollars that you just have at home and you're safe mm-hmm. or under the mattress somewhere. Just having cash in case there is a crisis is just a really good idea, you know? Um, probably anything over five or 10,000 might be getting a little heavy, but if you have a thousand or 2000 at home, it just gives you a little bit of extra security there. Should anything happen? Yeah. The other is, is making sure you have that three months, three to six months of living expenses in the bank. Um, you know, and, and finally we're, we're getting to talk about talk to people about, Hey, you can get more interest in the bank than you ever have been able to in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yes. So, so having that reserve should anything happen, because if we do go through a default like that, uh, you know, people will be losing their jobs. And we also don't know what happens with Social Security. Mm. Now, it's unlikely. All of the can of worms right there. Yeah, it's unlikely that they would cut it because Social Security is funded by a payroll tax that is dedicated to Social Security. But, it, you know, if, if this does go badly, it is conceivable that payments could be cut. It probably won't disappear, but could be cut. So mm-hmm. having that, that little extra cushion is really a, a, a wise idea. Yeah, absolutely. Then, then from there, it's really being diversified with your other investments, making sure you can accept the risk. If you feel like you're taking too much risk in your investments, that's a great time to kind of reevaluate things. Mm-hmm. Talk to a, a, a financial profess- professional and work through, okay, how do I take some risk off the table? Or how do I position myself to take advantage of the volatility we might see in the markets? So all of those things are really good conversations that are really individual to your situation. So that's why we encourage people to talk to professional can really dive into uh, those issues and look at it. So um, the other thing I would say is, you know, try not to watch the news too much. Yeah. You know, you'll you'll know if we default on on the uh, on the government but uh or on the government uh, debt but uh those are probably the major things we're talking to folks about is that diversification piece keeping some cash on hand mm-hmm. keeping that three to six month cushion in the bank that's accessible should anything happen um but other than that unfortunately there, there's not a ton that you can do because this is such a big issue that we really don't have any control over it, This is really being decided by the, the few people that are negotiating, um, in Washington right now for a crisis that 
doesn't have to be a crisis right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Royal, if people want to reach out and talk about that diversification piece, because the other ones are pretty much self-driven, but that one needs to be looked at by a professional. Um, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, you can visit our website at opfa.com or give us a call at 541-772-1116. And Eric, you sound down. I think I bummed you out. Yeah, well, no, you didn't. I enjoy spending time with you. The, the issue is that whenever I have to think about how the politicians are behaving themselves in, in Washington and around the country, it's it's annoying, Royal. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm getting a little annoyed by just all the bickering. And I... And, You've, you know, I've talked about it before. I lean to the right a bit, but it's both sides that are just acting like children. Yep. Period. Yeah. Little, little kids stomping their feet, wanting their way. And I'm, I'm getting tired. And I think that I, I speak for a lot of people out there that are just, can't you just get along? Can't we just get stuff done? Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Now, on the plus side, I think there's a really good chance we come up with a solution to this. I really do. So I don't want people to walk in away feeling all doom and gloom, but there's definitely some gray in the clouds ahead. And that's why I wanted to record this just to yeah. get this information out there and kind of give my perspective on it for what folks can do with their money and just prepare themselves for what could be a rocky summer if we don't come up with a solution to this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good points. And I appreciate it. I always appreciate it. Even if it's not the greatest news that I've ever heard, it's news I need to hear. So I appreciate it, Royal, very much. My pleasure, Eric. All right. Thank you again, Royal. And also our last thank you, of course, goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Life by Design podcast with Royal Stanley. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Royal comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And if you get on there, if you would rate it and leave a review, that would be great because that would help others find the show as well. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Oregon Pacific Financial Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day and ignore what Congress is doing. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Life by Design podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.